This podcast was brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on Sirius XM. Welcome to Work of Tomorrow on Business Radio. I'm your host, Christian Tavish, and we're here for you every Monday night at 5 p.m. Eastern, followed by replays throughout the week. The purpose of my show is to explore how work will change in times of globalization and digitization. I want to understand the work of tomorrow. Now, a couple of weeks ago, I was in San Francisco to teach our Wharton course, Mastering Innovation. In class, my friend and colleague Carl Ulrich and I talked about patterns of digital disruption. Online giant Amazon disrupting brick-and-mortar retailing certainly makes for a nice case study. On my way back to the hotel, however, I could not notice, uh, help but notice a certain irony of history when walking by the Amazon Go store on California Street. Over the last years, Amazon has opened retail stores, and so has eyewear company Warby Parker. At the same time, carmaker Tesla just announced that they would close their retail stores. Why would online companies open physical retail stores? And what do the retail stores of tomorrow look like? To answer these questions, I will be speaking to wonderful guests today on my show. Chris Ricopono is the founder of Untucket, which is known for its casual shirts that were initially sold online, but now are also available through 50 retail stores. And in the second half of the show, I will talk to Michael Susval, the founder and CEO of Standard Cognition, an AI company redesigning checkout solutions for the retail industry at this point. Welcome, Chris. How you doing? Nice to be here. Hey, Chris, before talking about your retail stores, we should talk about your product. How did you get started with your business? You know, mine was the classic case of I needed a solution for me. So it was something that I couldn't find. So I figured if, it, if I have the issue, other people might have the issue. And uh, it was 2012 or 2011, and I was working in corporate America. And every time that I went to grab a shirt to wear untucked, it just felt sloppy and felt too long. So I asked a few of my friends, and it seemed everyone I talked to had the same issue. So I did a year of research, um, going into department stores, trying on it, bringing in shirts, trying them on, measuring them. Um, I brought on my partner from Columbia Business School, Aaron San Andres, and we launched a survey, and 95% of the men had the exact same problem, that their shirts were too long and too sloppy. So... I took it. We took a year to learn how to make a shirt because I had no fashion experience whatsoever. I wandered up and down the fashion district, and uh, we launched the company. And um, we've we've grown, uh, you know, year after year. We have over fifty brick and mortar stores now, and our e-commerce business is also growing um, at a fast rate. So, and we've also just recently went international to Canada, which is doing very well. So, it's very exciting. Now, the New Yorker had a long article about you guys. Uh, are you guys really starting a cultural revolution, or are you just helping men to wear the shirts that we like them to wear? I think it's a combination. You know, we, we ended up launching right at this time of, of casualization. And, and as you know, um, many firms today have gone to uh, business casual for, for, for each day of the week. But not only that, even the best restaurants in New York, you know, if you went into the Laberna Dan Five years ago, every, or 10 years ago, everyone was wearing suits. Now they're wearing dark jeans, a nice pair of sneakers, an untucked shirt, and a, and a sports jacket. So I, the world has gone more casual, and I only see it going even more casual in the future. So it really was a perfect time. And what we did was we created polished casual. So when people used to have this opinion of wearing your shirt untucked, that you looked sloppy. Now you can look really sharp and really what we call polished casual. And most importantly, we tapped into the everyday guy. Our demographic is 25 to 70 years old, 
almost evenly distributed, which is never what we thought would happen. I thought we were going to get a fashion-forward younger guy. And the best thing that ever happened to us is this massive demographic. And it's really for the guy who wants to look good. He wants to look sharp, but he doesn't want to really admit it. He doesn't really want to talk about how much he cares about fashion or looking in the mirror or making sure he looks good. He, does, he wants to take the thinking away, grab a shirt out of his closet, and know that he looks good. And that's kind of, we, we really tapped into that demo. And it clearly has worked. You were alluding to your growth a moment ago. Uh, the numbers I've seen is you've been growing 100% year over year. Uh, can you give us a sense of the current scale of the operations? Yeah, I, we, we, we don't share numbers, but we have been growing 100% uh, year over year. Um, retail, obviously, you know, the, the growth has been explosive. We, offered, we opened up 25 stores the year before last year, 25 last year. We'll open up another uh, probably 40 to 50 this year. We're going into England, opening in England at the end of this year, probably two stores. Uh, we'll open another five in Canada. Um, so, yeah, the, the, the growth has just been incredible. Um, our repeat percentage is, you know, 50% plus. Uh, so our customers stay with us. Um, and it's, uh, you know, it's, like I said, it's, it's been been explosive growth here for the last few years and, and very exciting and, and into other categories. So, you know, we think of us as a, as a button-down shirt, but right now our, you know, our sweaters are growing at 200%. Our polos are growing at 200%. Our women's line is our fastest um, growing line uh, year over year. Um, and, you know, as well as our outerwear, our sports jackets. We launched sneakers. We launched shorts. So uh, people really like the experience of shopping with us, specifically in the stores. Um, and they like the customer service. And they like, uh, the, you know, they order the product, they get it two days later. So we've, uh, we've, are really looking forward to future growth in these other product lines over the next two or three years. It's funny, my next question was exactly about your current variety that you offered. So you started with your famous Untucked shirt, hence the name Untuck It. Um, you've grown much broader towards this category that in many ways you formed, what you just referred to as polished casual. Do you have sometimes like second thoughts or regrets on the name of Untuck It in many ways as you're now becoming polished casual, much broader? Would you prefer a broader name or is the brand just so powerful and just so much to the point of the kind of the, this cultural revolution that you started that you're just happy as it is? Yeah, no, it's, it's hands down the best decision I ever made. And it's kind of what got me to actually launch the idea. I'll never forget I was... I was wandering the street down the shore and I, I had this concept, but I, I didn't know if I'd launch it. And I thought about untuck it, you know, shirts designed to be one untucked. And, um, it, the name and everyone in the fashion industry, you know, old school fashion industry said it was a terrible name. You can't launch with it. It's not sophisticated enough. You know, if you look at these other brands, they're either named after a designer or they're really nice cursive writing and, and very elegant. And there, that already existed and breaking into fashion fashion industry and being successful is nearly impossible. So I know if you're going to do it, we're going to have to do it differently. And we're going to have to do it based on the function of the shirt um, and the fact that we fix this problem. So untuck it has become this buzzword. And uh, obviously living and breathing this, you it's you hear it all the time. You even what, what we get a lot, which I love, is um, not just me or our employees or my family or people will call up and say, oh, he's wearing an untucked shirt. He's wearing an untucked. And it's actually not even an untucked shirt. So it's become like the Coca-Cola and soda or tissues and Kleenex or Xerox and copy machines. It's kind of just when you think about your shirt untucked, you think untuck it. 
And when you're at a cocktail party, you always hear, untuck it, untuck it. So to me, if it was Chris Riccobono's shirts, it would have kind of just gotten lost. And, and in this case, you know what it means um, the second you hear it. And there's actually no one else who does that. So it, it's, it's definitely the, a great decision today. And I don't, I don't want to change it. I know with other products, but people know that when we create other products, it's because we've perfected a fit in some regard. So our sweaters fit perfectly with our untucked shirts. Our sports jackets fit at the right length with our untucked shirts. And these are all based on comments from customers. We expanded the lines based on feedback from customers. The first thing they ever said was, I love my untucked shirts, but I have the same problem with my T-shirts and my polo shirts. They're all too long. So we fixed that. Then we said, oh, I wear my sweater with your shirt, but it covers up the shirt or it falls too high. So we fixed that. So it's all in some way related. Now, listen, pants, of course, I can't spin a story there that, I, you know, pants are pants. There's nothing about Untucket. Um, but those types of products, we have so many people in our stores across the country that it's one-stop shopping. They know our quality is great. They know the quality will be the same, so they buy those products. Now, the previously mentioned New Yorker article talked about your stores and in particular your salespeople. Is there something evangelical in your sales force? Um, you know, so the way my biggest concern when launching these stores was that people in my corporate office have kind of grown up with me in the world of Untucket. They know my personality, they know my passion, they know the excitement around the brand. And all of a sudden you're opening these stores with sales associates across the country who don't know me at all. They don't know that we're this tight knit uh, group with a great culture. They just are getting a job in another company, you know, that, that exists somewhere back in New York city. And the question was, how are we going to keep that culture and that excitement about the brand? So we've spent a lot of time on training and making sure that these guys, just like our customer service team, by the way, our customer service team for our online business is in our Soho office, one floor above us. And people always say that, why are you paying all this money for customer service? You can have them out somewhere in the middle of the country. And it's because we want them to be part of this company. We want them, when they speak to our customers, to feel the excitement, to know about the product inside and out. And that's the same case for our sales associates. And our store, I'm kind of dragging on the answer of the, of the, the question, but our store experience is very unique to any other store experience out there in that we keep one shirt of each style uh, in the store, in, out on the floor, and you come in, the store associate engages with the customer. How, how have you heard about the brand? Can we help you? And, and the... It, customers get excited in these conversations. They want to learn about the brand. They want to learn about what's unique about our shirts. And then they, we have try-on shirts. So they try on a shirt. And once they find their fit, now the sales associate with an iPad walks around. And all they have to do is point to the shirts they want, swipe the card, get your bag, and leave. We also have scotch up on the bar. We have a quote-unquote bar where we check out, where we have a little lounge area where there's a lot on a Saturday. You'll see people sitting there talking about the brand. So the feedback's been tremendous. People want to shop in our stores. Even those who've shopped online for years, they still go to our stores um, just for the experience. In case you're just tuning in, you're listening to Work of Tomorrow here on Business Radio. I'm your host, Christian Tevich, and I'm chatting with Chris Riccobono, the founder of Untucket. And we're talking about how Untucket made the decision going into the retail, the physical brick-and-mortar retail space. And uh, Chris, as, as you, you and I have both business school backgrounds, um, so I'm, I'm just imagining the case discussion. The professor has the case question, should Untucket go brick and mortar or not? And so there's going to be on the whiteboard, there's going to be a little table with option one, stay online, option two is brick and mortar. Just tell us a little bit, how, how, how did you guys make the decision? What, what, what made you go the way that you went? 
Yeah, so when we launched or when we were thinking about launching, let's say in 2010 when we were working on the idea, um, there were certain people out there who thought and were, were kind of preaching that brick and mortar would go away and that everything was going to go to e-commerce because it's easy. You can go online at work. You can ship, you know, put your return label on, send it back. And two things we learned in 2015 was, one, um, we, we came to about 70% of men want to touch and feel a product before they buy it. So, yes, might they buy the product after they've touched and felt it and then buy online for the rest of their life? Without a doubt. But they needed to make that first purchase. They didn't want to order three or four shirts and then still have the hassle of going to a post office and dropping off a box. We had that data point, and we could tell, you know, we have to have customers email us. As soon as you open up a store, I'll shop with you. So the decision for us was pretty easy based on that. Um, but then even more for us is that our demographic is so wide and, and we have 70, 80, 90 year olds wear, wearing our product. So, you know, the older generation, they don't want to shop on online. They just never have. You can't blame them. They've grown up going to stores. Um, so that was kind of the second reason, our demographic. And then the third reason was we knew we could, We you know, there's a lot of data that, especially internationally, that it was all about the experience, that you had to have this great experience. The days of just walking into a store and clothes piled up and grabbing your shirt and going to try it on and taking the pins out and, and going up to a long line with a cash register, those were gone. And you needed to create some type of experience. And if you could create some type of experience, customers want to shop because shopping, even though men admit it, is something everyone does. And, and every man will go to a mall or go for a walk in Soho or some other Michigan Ave. So those three things in 2015, we said we have to test, but obviously we're not going to sign a five-year contract, so let's do a pop-up, and therefore there was no risk. We also had amazing data online of where our customers were, uh, which is the difference of, an old, you know, 10 years ago when you had to open up a brick and mortar, you had no data, and now we knew exactly who our customer was, where he was located, uh, what he liked to do, and all that. So. We opened Soho, and the response was amazing. And what was interesting is we were spending a lot of money marketing online, and a lot of customers were, were they just didn't go on and purchase our shirt. But when they walked by our store, they said, oh, I'm here now. I know this company. I want to come in. I'm going to buy. So it was kind of the tipping point for a lot of our customers to get them to purchase. And we had amazing results. Um, people were excited coming in, talking about it, telling their friends about the stores. Um, so we opened up four more that year and then for the following year, and then we opened up 25 and 30 and here we are today. Um, you know, we, we love the brick and mortar. It's first of the our margins are better, which people don't realize because we, we cover shipping both ways. Um, and if you have a return exchange, that's basically three ways of shipping. And with online, we don't need to do any of that. So we, we love to push our, and the long-term value of a customer is longer when they've had that interaction, that experience in the store. So for us, brick and mortar is without doubt will be here forever and is a very important part of, of a business. As an operations professor, I'm always very interested in kind of supply chains and distribution and product variety. So to the extent that you feel comfortable sharing data, uh, you mentioned some ideas uh, around costs and some advantages of brick and mortar. Can you just talk a little bit about like roughly what type of uh, what it costs you to deliver a shirt through your distributions online versus what you're paying in the store? Yeah, that I can tell you. So, yeah, I mean, it's uh, shipping, you know, it's constantly moving depending on the, the number of shirts and, and, you know, the averages get, get depending on the overnight and two-day. But I would we like to say about $5, $4, $4 to $5 shipping. And then if it comes back, it's another 4 to $5 and then back out to the customer. Return exchange rates are lower, obviously, out of store as well. 
because you've tried on the shirt. Um, and that's versus sending, you know, a box of shirts for $5, you know, 30 shirts. So um, from our warehouse to our store. So you'd say like it's less than a dollar versus, you know, anywhere between 5 and $15 if it's a return exchange. So it's a significant cost savings. How but about in the, the, go, sorry, me, go ahead. You know, the big thing to me is this experience that you have, which makes you, um, and also your average, you typically will buy more. So your cart size goes up if you're in a store because you've tried on the product and you see the product, you touch and feel. So you might go buy a sweater if you bought the shirt. While online, you might say, you know what, I'm just going to try a shirt. And then it might be three or four months later that you try the sweater. How about inventory costs in terms of uh, the costs that you have, uh, some benefits of just pooling the inventory from centralized distribution centers as opposed to having the merchandise sit out in the retail outlet? Yeah, I mean, that makes it more challenging. There's no question about that. Now, luckily, knock on wood, this has not been an issue with us because of our growth. So we're, we, we have not had the challenge of saying, okay, we need to find a way to get rid of all this product because we had 100 stores and, you know, we, even though we were successful, we had, to, we had to have a certain amount of inventory in each store. Um, as we are foreseeing that becoming a challenge, as it will with every company whose growth will eventually slow down a little bit, and when you have that many stores, um, it's tough to carry a shirt and we have 50 sizes, you know, and, and cover that in all stores. But what we're doing, what we're going to be doing is we'll be shipping from stores. So uh, hopefully by middle to end of this year, we'll be able to fulfill orders from all of our stores across the country. So where that helps is if I want to make a shirt, uh, a red linen shirt, and I want to make 4,000 of that shirt, right now they might say, oh, no, just to get to those 50 stores, you have to make 7,000, right? And they say, okay, we have 7,000 of the shirt. That's a lot, and the shirt doesn't do well, and all of a sudden you have an inventory issue. Now we can stick with the 4,000 like we're online, and we can ship them from the stores um, if we run out online. That's going to be very, very that's going to be a game changer for us from an inventory management perspective. In case you're just tuning in, you're listening to Work of Tomorrow here on Business Radio. I'm your host, Christian Tevich, and I'm chatting with Chris Riccobono, the founder of Untucket. Now, two common cases that we teach in operations courses at business schools, you might have even taken them yourself in, during your MBA time, Chris, are Zara and L.L. Bean. The kind of the Zara is a fast, fast fashion, quickly changing fashion trends, oftentimes in weeks, versus the L.L. Bean, the more, especially on the kind of the, the socks, the T-shirts, also the, the more kind of low volatility demand. If you think about Untucket shirts, where, where are you on that continuum from L.L. Bean to Zara? So we do a kind of a mix. The, the first thing where we, so I'll go through a few things. When we launched our pro, when we launched Untucket, we knew that we were solving a problem and we weren't coming out with a style, meaning we weren't going to be preppy like a Vineyard Vines or maybe clubby like an Armani um, or kind of an older flowery patterns like Tommy Bahama. I'm generalizing, but we knew that if a guy who wore a black shirt wanted an untucked shirt or a guy who wore a pink gingham, a completely different type of potentially guy and definitely a style, we had to have both. So many people advise us against this is it can't be everything for everyone. That, that's a danger. And how are you going to market that now? But that was the second best decision I ever made because we carry you know, 140 shirts, and if you want a style, if you want a double pocket denim, or you want prints, or you want a nice short sleeve uh, pink gingham, we have it for you. Now, what that also helped was, and this wasn't planned, it just kind of happened, was 80% of our styles are year-round. While most companies 
it's, you know, way less than that. So all we need to do is get rid of our linens in the spring and our heavy plaids in the winter. Other than that, we can push inventory throughout the entire year. Um, And that happened by just not taking a design style choice from the launch. So we are very different from both of those companies in that regard. Now we have our basics, more like an LL Bean. We have our basics, which is, you know, we have 20 shirts, which, which, you know, sell 70% or so or more of, of, of our, of our sales. But we also have a program called Fast Fashion, which we launch once a year, which is once a month, which is uh, four to six shirts with a special design. And there's only a certain amount available and you need to buy them within those first two to three days or they're gone. And that allows us to keep our our repeat customers engaged and excited about the newsletters, gives them something to to constantly wait for. Um, and so we kind of untuck it. One thing we've done is we've done things very different from any kind of retailer in the past because um, we were two guys coming from a non-retail background. So we kind of created it and developed it as we go, even with our pricing, even with our seasons and when we launched them. Um, but luckily, it's been success so far. Chris, uh, talk about the technology that is used within the store. I mean, you were hinting at it earlier on that since you started online, you had actually very good customer-level data about where your customers were and what they wanted. How did a company that was born online think about stores differently compared to a traditional brick-and-mortar company? Yeah, and we're still we're still getting there, which is, uh, you know, we're growing so fast and our store rollout has been so fast that um, – Unfortunately, as some of my employees will tell you, we, we operate uh, some of we get some of our data through Excel spreadsheets still. But we are um, we're actually moving to uh, something called New Store, and uh, we're moving to NetSuite um, at the end of this year. Uh, we'll be making a platform change to Salesforce from Shopify, um, which will uh, which will allow us to have a lot of these functionalities. Uh, you know, even even at some point, texting texting a store. Uh, to pick up your shirt. So we're not there yet within stores. We're, we're actually in the process as we speak at the end of last year, kind of um, upgrading all this technology um, so that we kind of can be cutting edge. Uh, but like I said, some, sometimes when you're growing so fast, some, some stuff lags behind. And uh, that's why we're so excited about our, our future is that we did a lot of this without the latest and greatest platforms. Um, and that's really an opportunity going forward, specifically in our retail stores. You mentioned in the retail stores the uh, very high degree of touch, the fact that your associates greet the customer, help them talk about style, help them talk about whether they're familiar with the brand. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what type of data is collected in the retail stores and how the shopping experience is leaving a digital footprint behind, similar to what you would do in, a, in an online store where you just, through the clickstream, have just amazing data? Yeah, so we use someone called Retail Next, um, which, which is an amazing company. So we track how many customers, what, who the customers are, come through the door every day, um, how many shirts they're buying, what shirts, what type of, we, 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 we track all different trends um, for those who come through our store. And obviously we then kind of compare it back to our online data to find out who, who's buying online first, then going into the store, then going back to online, then going back in the store versus who just shops in stores. And we're constantly, uh, we have a data analyst who's constantly um, looking into all that information. So we, we, we bring all the data that we collect in stores, which is obviously the email address, 
um, and the customer. And then we do even a deeper dive through the retail next data, um, which kind of keeps track. And we, we have, uh, you know, cameras in the stores, which is, which is how they track the data of, of the demographic of the, of the customer. Um, so we, uh, as far as we also do a lot and, and we believe in this, um, even when we're doing, when we're doing our attribution data for marketing is, is we do do a lot of, uh, manual, um, stuff. So our customer is always asked, where did he hear about us? How did he hear about us? Has he shopped with us before? And then we kind of take that information at the end of the day and put it into a, a spreadsheet where we can kind of compare different stores around the country, who's hearing, what, what marketing is working. Because it's very hard to figure out marketing and brick and mortar. It's funny, I was just having a conversation this morning with my partner. That's hard. I mean, we can track exactly if we run a TV commercial, who comes online, who buys, um, and how long they bought after they saw the commercial. But if that person sees the commercial and just goes into their local store, we are not able to track that back to TV. And that's what we're working on now. Um, and unfortunately, there really is no other way than kind of manually doing that right now. Um, I'm not sure if that answered the question. Does that create, uh, I mean, the, the textbook uh, tension or incentive conflict in omnichannel retailing is that somehow that the customer gets served well in the store and then buys online and the store management thinks of it almost from their incentives perspective as a lost customer. The way you describe it, if the email is collected already in the store, you're really thinking about it in a much more customer-centric as opposed to a channel-centric way. Is that, is that uh, no, we, are, we are omni. We don't even look at when – we, when we open a store, we look at the total market size of that. So we don't just look at, okay, that store did X and therefore it's successful or, you know, the new customers into that store was X and therefore it's not successful. We look at if we open in, in Birmingham, Alabama, we look at the data. We only speak the word Omni in this office and it's, uh, we don't care whether we push people back and forth for certain reasons. Typically we push people to stores. Um, but no one's measured on that. It's, it's, we need to make the sales. We, you know, it's can Omni means convenience, right? So it's us, right? So it's, how can we make it easier for a customer to make a purchase wherever they want to make the purchase? Um, and uh, as far oh, so as far as like so, if you're in Birmingham, what we're gonna do, what we do is we look at how many how much did online go up versus how many new customers online, and and in every scenario, you'll see that our market gets bigger once we open a store in that neighborhood. Um, so it, therefore, it makes sense to us we, because we're measuring it on which a lot of people have a tough time doing or accepting this omni concept, believe it or not. Um, but th that's the only way to look at it. Chris, last question. Uh, talk about the things that you're doing at Untucket right now that uh, are getting you excited and our listeners should be aware of. Um, so two things, three things. One is just our new product expansion. We had such a, a, a tremendous year last year with all of these products that we're, we're – kind of doubling down this year of uh, new designers and, and kind of just making all different types of products, new products that you're going to see um, from the spring going forward this year, um, which is very exciting. We've, we've gone even deeper into our pants and our shorts and our casual shorts, bathing suits, stuff that we've really never done before. Um, second is uh, if you live in the United States, there's no question that we'll have a store near you by the end of the year. Um, because we'll have another 40 or so coming. And then what's most exciting to me personally is international expansion. 
Not all brands can expand internationally. We've had a lot of success in Canada. So we're opening up five more stores there and we'll be opening up one or two stores in England at the end of this year. And then next year, um, going up potentially to, uh, to Northern Europe and, and Latin America. So the, the international component is what really, really excites me. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.